The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. In virtual worship, our sanctuary empty, we gather together this Sunday in August 2020. In the spirit of one who sang, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, truth and love for all to see. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation through WBUR 90.9 FM and our listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, and when and as it is again permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Today's service of worship includes the sermon, New This Week, along with music and liturgy rebroadcast from earlier services. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. pray together. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be for us a sacrifice for sin and also an example of godly life. 
Give us grace to receive thankfully the fruits of this redeeming work and to follow daily in the blessed steps of his most holy life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. Joseph makes himself known to his brothers. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of the Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then Joseph fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 11, verses 1 through 2 and 29 through 32. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 133 with the Antiphon. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. beloved, please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of our hymn. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, 
yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the 1992 classic movie, The Mighty Ducks, a successful lawyer was sentenced to 500 hours of community service. He ended up coaching a ragtag group of children how to play hockey and how to be a team. In typical Disney fashion, this helped the coach, Gordon Bombay, to connect with the childhood loss of his father. Before the team's success, though, Bombay lost the trust of most of his team. In a pivotal scene of the movie, he revealed to one player that he frequently replays losing the championship game for his childhood hockey team. Bombay was selected to take a penalty shot, which he missed, and the team went on to lose the game in overtime. He says that he missed the shot by a quarter of an inch. Throughout the movie, the missed shot is shown multiple times, and the viewer sees the puck hitting the goalpost. Well, missing a shot in a children's hockey game by a quarter of an inch seems utterly insignificant given everything going on in our world. The movie viewer is given the sense that things might have been different for Bombay if he had just scored the goal. After recounting the missed shot and saying that a quarter of an inch would have made the difference, one of Bombay's players said, yeah, but a quarter of an inch the other way and you'd have missed completely. Bombay responds, I never thought of it that way. Just like that, Bombay's outlook is reoriented by that line. That new perspective changed him. He can't go back and take the shot again, but he has some say in how the memory shapes his life. He permits himself to accept that he missed the shot and that changing what happened either for success or greater failure was impossible. While a quarter of an inch one way would have led to success, he could have just as easily missed completely if it went a quarter of an inch the other way. Throughout life, we must learn to deal with failure and success, as well as the margin between success and failure. As a hospital chaplain, I consistently listen to stories that people tell me. These stories often contain triumphs and despair. Part of my chaplain training is to learn to recognize the degree to which these memories shape the present. It is clear to me that the past continues to impact the present. I have learned not to take for granted the impact that memories or events can have, even ones that seem insignificant to others unrequited love from 30 years ago, moving to a new state, the loss of a pet, or a missed hockey shot. People respond to events in life differently. We are unique and people interpret life and events out of their individuality. There is no measuring stick by which we can definitively determine how events or memories shape us. There is no measuring stick by which we can definitively determine how much pain or for how long painful events linger. What is clear is that tragedies and hardships of varying magnitudes can leave marks on our minds and souls. Some have taken to calling these marks soul wounds. Soul wounds are invisible marks left from troubling or traumatic events. They can be memories that refuse to be integrated into identity. 
events that linger far beyond what is considered conventional. Feelings that flood the mind at unwanted times and overwhelm the sense of self. Strung out, emotions and isolation pervade as powerlessness and a lack of agency abound. Soul wounds are serious. Sometimes the wounds are so deep and strong that they make people question their whole understanding of existence and reality. Then there are times when people are unaware of the potency of soul wounds, oftentimes because they remain hidden beneath the surface. In these situations, they are hidden, but powerful and impactful, escaping recall and language, but shaping reality. Soul wounds can impact anyone, regardless of race, class, or gender. They are not bound by geographical location or education. Numbers one through nine on the Enneagram, any combination of letters from Myers-Briggs, I-N-F-J-E-S-T-P, anyone can be hurt. And that hurt can linger far beyond the initial wound. Recognizing the ongoing impact of soul wounds, of losses and failures, may be easier if only we could see the scars that these events leave. Unlike our bodies, which often retain marks of serious injuries that can be seen by others, soul wounds are invisible. You can ride the tea with a train full of people experiencing myriads of misfortune and not even know. Certainly, there can be the visible signs, drooping heads, sluggish shoulders, and misty eyes. But for the most part, soul wounds are obscure. Their obscurity helps them persist. Their obscurity also reminds us that soul wounds are often outside of our direct control. They can lead to a sense of powerlessness and a lack of autonomy over the self. These wounds, though, they do not determine who we are, nor are we completely defenseless against their impact. Coping tools and resiliency, of which faith can be a major contributor, can help in times of trouble. Certainly new perspectives, love from others, and other forms of support can mitigate the impact and effects of the wounds. Yet it is hard when every day it feels like pieces of the self are under threats from various sources. The encounter recorded in Matthew 15 with the woman in the districts of Tyre and Sidon is complicated. The text says that she is a Canaanite woman. Like many of the women of the Bible, her name was not deemed worthy of being written down. After all, papyrus was expensive. Well, her name was not worth mentioning. Her ethnicity was worth recording. She was a Canaanite, the supposed ancient enemy of the Israelite people. This marker of identity, this label given to her by the narrator, is not polite. It is not even neutral. It is downright troubling. It is, to be frank, an ethnic slur, a racist slur. The mistreatment and prejudice did not end with the narrator, though. After revealing that her daughter was being tormented, she was ignored. She was not deemed worthy of a response, other than by the disciples who wanted to send her away. Her suffering was deemed an inconvenience. It was deemed an inconvenience to those with privilege. Even when her suffering was named and put out in the open, there was no compassion from the disciples. Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. They do not even say, heal her daughter and send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. Just send her away. Her shouting, her suffering is bothering us. They did not want to see. They did not want to hear it. 
her wounds, her tragedies, her very life and the life of her daughter were measured and deemed inconsequential. With all the resiliency and tenacity that comes from living on the margins where a quarter of an inch is the difference between life and death, this woman pushed. In the midst of an unsafe situation where she was outnumbered by a group of men who did not care what happened to her or her daughter, who did not quite look like her, who did not quite speak like her, she risked her life out of love for her daughter. Beloved, if you want to know what gospel love is, perhaps in Matthew 15 we ought to look at this woman who refused to accept what the world and religious people told her about herself. She refused to accept what the people in places of power said. If we want to see gospel love, perhaps it is in the insistence that Canaanite lives matter and that when one group has the means and resources to save others, no is not an acceptable answer. She refuses to accept no. She refuses to accept that the position has been filled, the house has just been sold, or that things will be better for the next generation. She offered her daughter resilient love that would not stay unseen and unheard. She pushed. We cannot say exactly why, but she pushed, surely partly out of love and desperation for her child. What loving parent would not push for the sake of their child? We must be careful, though, not to make her suffering redemptive, for that too easily becomes co-opted by power and privilege. There is such a thing as redemptive love, and suffering can be redemptive, but here we see resilient love. It is not suffering that saves, but resiliency in the face of adversity. Resilient love that demands to be seen and demands to be heard. Resilient love that claims a place at the table. Resilient love, not a feeling that comes and goes, waxes and wanes, but a way of being. This is resilient love. Resilient love is gospel love. The story is complex. This encounter is complex. People are always more complex than they are made out to be. Jesus is more complex than he is often made out to be. It would be a much easier story without verses 24 and 26. You see, these verses seem to reveal that Jesus bought into the racialized ideologies of the time. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is not only Israel first, it is Israel only. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Nevertheless, she persisted. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. These are not the words of the narrator. These are not the words of the disciples. These are red letters. And that does not stop them from being another racial slur. Jesus refuses to heal when he can and refuses to see the woman in front of him as a person. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Sure, the Greek is diminutive, which is perhaps more appropriately translated as puppy instead of dog, but the inference is no better. He does not see her because he does not have to see her. He compares her sick daughter to a dog. Michelle Obama, in a recent podcast shared that she feels the ongoing racial strife and lack of response to the pandemic in the nation has left her experiencing low-grade depression at times. Well, I do not think that depression and soul wounds can be correlated or equated. There certainly can be similarities. And her sharing her experience names the wider truth of what is going on across the country and world. Whether it is soul wounds, depression, or trauma, the nation is facing a challenging time. 
People are facing challenging times. A time when a quarter of an inch in any direction can have monumental ramifications. The ongoing water in which we currently swim, the soil in which we are attempting to draw nutrients, provides additional challenges to individual and communal thriving. How can plants thrive when the soil is sick? How can fish swim when the water is poisoned? Although many of the challenges have always been present and have been unacknowledged by those in places of privilege. Between the myriad of pandemics the country is facing and the personal challenges, this season feels a bit like the state of Narnia in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When the Pevensey children first arrive, they learn that the fictional country of Narnia is in a perpetual state of winter. They are told that it is always winter and never Christmas. We have had summer without beaches and barbecues, virtual fireworks for the 4th of July, and empty churches for Easter. We have watched death and destruction on the news and streamed on the internet. We are living in an age of dislocation. It is almost as if someone forgot to turn the calendar from Lent to Easter and then to Eastertide. Always winter and never Christmas. Christianity has a place for trauma, tragedy, and soul wounds, but we usually prefer it to stay compartmentalized. Death and silence are acceptable topics on Good Friday and Holy Saturday, but Easter has come and gone. It is now a time for hope, joy, and love. It is now time for the resurrection. But what do you do when it seems like the resurrection just will not come? Perhaps even harder, what do you do when the resurrection has come and gone, but it does not seem like anything is different? Is it now a time when it is always Lent and never Easter? Sorrow, grief, anguish, despair, and isolation, these are refusing to stay contained and controlled. They are refusing to stay silent. The impact of their discordance is seen across individuals and communities. In the face of such, we must learn resilient love. Resilient love clings to hope in order to fan the flames of change. Resilient love recognizes brokenness, trauma, and tragedy. It does not force joy and triumph before they are welcome, but it does not give up. The power of the cross is a location of redemptive love and triumph, but the cross is also a location of resilient love in brokenness. The cross is a symbol of tragedy and not just triumph. Life is a process of interpreting meaning. There are times when events and situations align. There are times it seems that nothing goes right. Everything seems broken beyond repair. Sometimes the difference between the two is just a quarter of an inch. Faith reminds us that life is meaningful and purposeful in seasons of Lent and seasons of Easter. Faith calls for redemptive and resilient love. I sometimes wonder how different life would be if people were able to see soul wounds. We can show each other physical scars. We can see when people are physically bleeding and hurt. When pointed out, people often share the story behind the wound. But soul wounds often remain unseen and unnarrated. On the one hand, this protects the agency of the person by preventing unwanted vulnerability. On the other hand, it too often allows the harm that caused the wound to persist. Would we be more compassionate to each other if we knew the weight of pain and sorrow we bore? Would we bear each other's burdens with more care if we knew? We cannot see soul wounds, but we can learn to be more attentive to emotional, spiritual, and physical needs of those around us. 
we can learn to give and receive resilient love. Like many outside of places of privilege and power, the woman in Matthew 15 learned to survive on crumbs. She learned how to glean on crumbs that others did not want, crumbs from the master's table. This is what she asked for from Jesus. She asked for crumbs and knew that she would work hard to live on less. On the one hand, she gets what so many others miss, that a crumb from the messianic banquet is enough to sustain life. On the other hand, her story asks, why do some get seats at the table and others crumbs that fall? I confess that as a white person, I am tempted to want to celebrate that Jesus changed here. I want to make the story better by saying that the ending ties everything up. However, we must resist such interpretations of text and life. It is too neat. The change does not negate the harm. It is good that Jesus did change as a result of his encounter with this woman. He affirms her faith. He heals her daughter. There are other sayings and stories that reveal a more inclusive ministry. However, Jesus' changed perspective may not be what the gospel is about for us today. This is a story of a mother's resilience who persisted in the face of prejudice and privilege. This is perhaps a time where Jesus learned about gospel love from another person, from an outsider who was written off. This is the gospel as the resilient love of a mother who advocated through adversity, who refused to accept no as an answer. Thanks be to God for the gospel of resilient love.
now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. As a mother setting food before her hungry children, God satisfies our most basic needs and our deepest longings. Confident that we have a solicitous God, we pray now for our church and our world, saying together, Lord, hear our prayer. Because we need to be nourished by your word and sacrament, we pray for our church that we might both be willing to eat of your food and drink of your wine, and in turn be food and drink for one another. In faith we pray to you, O God. Lord, hear our prayer. Because we live and act in ways that are not in accordance to your will, we pray that our world may not continue in ignorance, but discern what is truly good and just. In faith, we pray to you, O God. Lord, hear our prayer. Because we are prone to be competitive and unconcerned about one another, we pray for all leaders that we might find in them examples of generous service and self-forgetfulness. In faith, we pray to you, O God. Lord, hear our prayer. Because there are so many poor and hungry people in our world, we pray that we may be generous in giving, compassionate in serving, and sensitive in understanding the needs of others. In faith, we pray to you, O oh God. Lord, hear our prayer. Because our world is pervaded by a spirit of skepticism and mistrust, we pray that we might come together in love, conversation, and compassion. In faith, we pray to you, O oh God. Lord, hear our prayer. Because we have often been nourished and supported by our ancestors who have gone before us, we pray that they continue to be a cloud of witness to us and all that we encounter in our earthly pilgrimage. In faith, we pray to you, O oh God. Lord, hear our prayer. All loving God, the source of our being, we praise and thank you for your care. Hear the prayers that we have made in faith. As a gracious mother, feed us with the bread of life so that we may abide with you forever. We make this prayer, as always, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
we give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray in Christ. Amen. it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, O Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. 